The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 121. I will lift up my eyes to the hills, from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Amen. we thank you for this Lord's day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us, your people, the church today, that we would have a sense of your presence with us, your closeness and nearness in the thoughts of our hearts, in the sorrows of our hearts, in our praises and in our meditations. Lord, we pray that we would be pleasing to you. We pray that you would give us the strength we need and the grace to worship in the beauty of holiness. And Lord, we pray that we would leave today knowing and believing the gospel, grasping for Christ and receiving him as he is offered to us in the scriptures. And Lord, we join our hearts together now as we join our voices together and pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the hymnal, if you'd like to look there. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Psalms, chapter 116. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my supplications. Because He has inclined His ear to me, therefore I will call upon Him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and He saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of of all His people. Amen. Let's continue to worship by singing together hymn number 675, Only Trust Him.
be seated. This morning for our responsive reading, please turn in your hymnal to page 829. We're going to begin reading Psalm 119, verses 33 to 56. So just at the bottom of the page, on page 829. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, then I will keep them to the end. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find the light. Turn my eyes away from worthless things, preserve my life according to your word. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. May your unfailing love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Do not snatch the word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. For I delight in your commands, because I love them. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. The arrogant mock me without restraint, but I do not turn from your law. Indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. In the night I remember your name, O Lord, and I will keep your law. Amen. At this time, we're going to make a slight change in our order of worship and take an offering now to the glory of God.
Thank you, Callie. Let's bow our heads together as we pray a prayer of dedication. Father, we thank you for this time in our worship service where we may return back to you our tithes and offerings that your word says we are to give to you and to do so cheerfully and thankful that you have provided for all of our needs. And we do so in faith as well, knowing that you are the God of heaven who does meet all of our needs. And we believe by faith that you will continue to do so, that you will take care of our families and our finances. And Lord, we thank you that you take care of the finances of this church, that you have blessed it beyond measure year after year. And Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. And we pray that as you look upon us and you look upon our hearts, that you would see faithfulness in us as we cheerfully give. In Jesus' name, amen. remain standing and turn in your hymnal to number 116 as we sing together for the beauty of the earth.
may be seated. This morning for our pastoral prayer time, I wanted to take time to to pause and to to pray for our church family, to think about the ways and the things that we carry with us each day, things that you brought here this morning that weigh heavy on your heart, prayers that you are lifting for family members, for loved ones, for friends, and especially I also want to pray for the lost. Those that we offer up prayers to our Heavenly Father, believing that He hears us, that He will answer us. So let's go to the throne of grace now. Father in Heaven, I thank You for these moments in this service of worship to offer up our petitions and our requests to You. And Lord, I pray that You would give Your people, give us all faith to believe that You hear us when we pray. And that in your sovereign time you will answer according to your will. In a way that will glorify you and be for our good. Lord, I do pray for our church family. For many who are troubled by things going on in the world. Things going on in their home or in their families. Prayers that they offer up for loved ones. For health concerns. Significant health concerns that are even in our midst in our church family. Lord, I pray that you would show yourself strong and mighty in giving healing and deliverance. Lord, we pray for your constant care and provision that your people would have a sense of your powerful presence with them. And as your word says in the book of Philippians chapter 4, that as you call your people to wait upon the Lord, that you would guard their hearts and their minds in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that your peace would be what is a note in their hearts, that it would be the melody that they sing as they wait upon the Lord. And Lord, I do pray for those that we offer up prayers for, those who are going through sickness and illness and struggles and the trials of this life. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church family not to forget too quickly to offer up prayers for one another. And Lord, I do pray for those in our midst who do not know you, Those that we pray for that are on our family prayer list, that are on our our personal prayer list and on our minds even right now as we celebrate this Lord's Day, as we prepare in just a few moments to come to your table. Lord, we pray that you would work by your spirit, use the gospel to draw men and women, boys and girls to yourself. We know that you do. Your word says that it goes out and will accomplish what you desire it to do. And we pray, Lord, that you would hasten that day. When sinners will call upon you, that they will repent and turn and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and live. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit now, even as we get ready to hear the anthem sung and your word preached. That you would pour out your spirit on us, that we would be full of understanding and belief and faith. That we wouldn't be here going through the motions, but that we would believe we are meeting in the presence of the living God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
you to open your Bibles to the New Testament book of Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 3 through 5 and the end of verse 10. The sermon this morning is entitled Christian Women. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 and then the end of verse 10. This is the word of the Lord. The older women likewise, that they should be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And then the second half of verse 10, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Last week we read that Titus was to keep a careful watch over what he taught, so that the older and the younger men alike would aspire to godliness in their Christian character and conduct, and all of this for the glory of God. In Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 that we read this morning, Paul esteems the high value of godly Christian women in the home and in the church. And I want to say, just with, a, with confidence, but also with hopefully a, a bit of humility, that I understand having a man stand here and talk about being a woman is pretty uh, difficult, apart from it being in the Word of God. And even in our culture today, we would kind of bristle if someone who doesn't know our experience would, would believe they could stand there and tell us anything about something that they know nothing about. And yet the Word of God is clear and it's plain. And I believe this morning as we look at the Scriptures, there is life in it for the church, for Christian women to aspire after a godly character that glorifies God, and for Christian men to affirm them in love and affection and esteem in a way that glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ in His church. In fact, I began last week by saying that God's design for manhood and womanhood began not in Genesis 3, but in Genesis chapter 1. That it is God's beautiful design that He created man and woman after the image of God. This creative order was not after the fall, but before. And as we think about manhood and womanhood and our different callings, it's a calling and not a punishment. So when we read words like obedient or submission, initially probably the hair on the back of our neck or maybe uh, as someone used to say to me, our hackles get up. What do you mean obedient or submission? And I think as we study the Word of God, as we see it together this morning, that it is a beautiful thing to do in the presence of the living God. But there are certain qualifications to make about it. And I hope as we see those together this morning that it will help point out how this is something done before the Lord. Last week I gave a biblical definition of what headship is, male headship, in the home and in the church. And I want to read that definition again because I'm going to add another this week on what submission is, biblical submission. So biblical headship, again, is the divine calling to take the primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. That's the responsibility, the divine calling of men and husbands. That's your role, men, to lead, 
to be the leader in love and protection and provision, to be Christ-like in the way that you function in the home, the way that you model love before your children, loving your wife and loving them, is a way that you demonstrate God's creative order and your divine calling to follow Him and obey. As it says in the book of Ephesians, husbands, love your wives. It doesn't say husbands rule over them. It says love them as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. Then another definition of what biblical submission is. According to the Word of God, it is the divine calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. Again, it is the divine calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. And I want to be clear with something this morning that I believe that that biblical womanhood is something that is established when a woman is created. You don't become a woman. Your your femininity, femininity or your womanhood is not established when you become married. You don't get an identity when you're married. You are given an identity in Christ because you are His creation. And the beauty of that identity is made after the image of God. I think it's important to be clear about that. You don't need to find a husband to find out who you are. You are who you are in Christ. You stand alone with Him. Your identity is in Him. So this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture, we see godly character of Christian women, both older women in the church and younger women. Paul begins in verse 3 and says that the older women are to be reverent in their behavior. This is the word uh, dignified or priest-like. The idea is that just as priests are set apart for holy service, older Christian women should act as befits their holiness in Christ. The simple meaning is this, that we must take seriously as women in the church that we belong to God. It's a serious thing that He calls us His daughters. That should be what is the mindset of the women in the church. And really, I wouldn't get too hung up on whether you're an older woman or a younger woman. All of these qualities are things that should be exemplified in the body of Christ by any woman who is striving and aspiring to godliness. A reverent Christian woman will yield her heart and her mind to God's word and place a priority in her participation in worship with the church. And I believe that it's because of that that Paul could boldly say and speak to things in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Otherwise, I think maybe it would have hit a a, a sour note with some of the ladies in the church when he said these things in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. Because he's speaking from a place of looking at their life before the Lord. He's not here to give out rules. He says, in like manner also, this is 1 Timothy 2 verses 9 and 10. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. I don't think he's interested in setting a dress code in the church. He's saying that there are things about your life that demonstrate or reveal what's on the inside of your heart. You may say one thing in front of other people. And yet, who you are in your actions and in your words is demonstrated. It comes out of your heart. So I think that's why he's so bold to even speak to it here, and especially in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says that they're not to be slanderers. You could also translate this word slanderer, gossiper. A mature Christian woman knows that the damage inflicted by words can sometimes be greater than some physical harms. And they seek, a Christian woman seeks to honor 
protect and edify, not participate in the enemy's work by tearing down or dividing the body of Christ by using her words in a harmful way. It says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And a serious Christian woman seeking after godliness would not participate in something that might be like the activities of the enemy. It says they're not to be given to much wine. And this must have been a significant problem in Crete. Not just in the culture, but in the church. Because he mentioned this in chapter 2, verse 2, when he admonished the older men not to be given to much wine. They were to be sober. And an older Christian woman knows that to turn to intoxicating drinks or drugs inevitably isolates them from others and from the church, from women who need them. And they forfeit the dignity by which they should become pillars in the church. That's the way Paul views these older women. They are pillars in the church of the Lord Jesus. And I think there are many of us, if we were to give testimony today, would say that because of a loving mother or grandmother or a Sunday school teacher who devoted herself to teaching the Word of God and leading children and others to know the Lord, many of us know the Lord the way we do because we were led by a Christian woman. Praise the Lord for Christian women in His church. It says that they're to be a teacher of good things. A teacher of good things. Holy women have learned to govern their tongues and to avoid the pitfalls of the senior years are fit to teach what is good to others. This will certainly include verbal teaching. They will tell them, thus saith the Lord. But will primarily be through setting a Christian example of a gracious and a holy condition to which all women should aspire to. And it's no different today than it was then, but it's true that it was then, that in the midst of a scandalous and immoral pagan society, the standards set by a dignified and gracious Christian woman would provide a sound education to those who looked upon her life. I believe that's for her children, but also for others in the church, that they would see what it means to be a reverent, a dignified, a holy woman set apart for the Lord's work. An instrument useful for the kingdom. Secondly, in verses 4 and 5, he says that they're to do something that Susan Hunt calls spiritual mothering. It says that they're to admonish the younger women. And I think we should notice and pay attention to, because last week when we looked at Christian men, Paul said that Titus was to teach the younger men. But notice who he says is to teach the younger women. It's not Titus. Don't go in there, Titus, believing that you can go and tell women how to be godly, feminine Christian women. You admonish the older women. Remember, this is a place where people were not generation after generation Christians. They were young believers. So there wouldn't have been grandmothers in the faith in that church. And that's why he admonished them the way that he did. But he says, you teach the older women that they might lead the younger Christian women to know what it means. And he's using the word admonish here, and it has the idea of calling them to their senses. Help them to wake up to what it means to be a believer, to be a feminine, strong woman believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was wise enough to know that the best people to encourage young women in biblical femininity are older women who've walked the same path before them. I know what it's like to raise children. I know what it's like to have a husband. And despite our own cultural confusion, there are gender differences that God has created in the beauty of holiness 
And he's made us, man and woman, in his image. It was his design. It was a cultural problem for them. The young women were confused. Not because they weren't smart or weren't as smart as the men. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the confusion of some of the influences of their day. And also in general, just the plain sense of the fall. They were influenced by this Roman idea of a new woman who could cast off all the traditional female roles and callings that we know in the scriptures. To enjoy true freedom meant you had to express it through untethering yourself from every expectation that people would put on you for your home, for your husband, or for your children, and even for your vocation. That no one could say, this is how a Christian woman should act. And so this had crept into the church. There were people that hadn't been able to separate these ideas. And so he wants the older women to admonish the younger woman. This is how you live the Christian life here in Crete. He's saying this is how it has to be. No, you can't just say, I have no moral constraints. I have no limits. Susan Hunt says, love demands dying to self. And this makes no sense unless one has yielded to the sovereignty of God. This is an indispensable doctrine. You will chafe at the scriptures unless you believe in the sovereignty of God. And I believe that this is a lie that our culture has has told us. And even in our own hearts, in our fallen state, we believe that these things that Paul is saying in the next verses are a bit difficult. He devotes an entire verse, verse 4. To tell the younger women, the the older women should say, love your husbands and and love your children. I don't know of any other place in the scriptures where women are admonished to love their own family. It's usually the men who need to be reminded, love your wife, love your children. But in, in this case, because of the fall and the brutality of it and the way that we turn inward on ourselves, no one is left untouched by sin. And so everyone needs to learn in God's family how to live before him. It was a cultural problem for them. So he says in in verse 4, love your family, essentially. Their husbands and their own children. In the Bible, this is typically a command for men, but he's giving it here for women. And I think it's a reminder to us of how far-reaching sin is, how how far-reaching the fall is. And the extent of our own depravity before the Lord. I think we deny it if we believe we don't need instruction in this. All of us. And he says that a woman expresses her love for her family. As before the Lord submitting to his sovereignty. By submitting to her own husband. And notice that the Bible does not speak of submission. As something that the husband demands of his wife. The Bible speaks of this as a disposition of the heart of a godly woman who says, I know that you are sovereign. Your word says this about my calling. And so I submit to you and I submit to him as unto you, not because he is Christ for me, but because Christ is on the throne of my heart. That's a measurement for you. And men, I think we need to hear that as our wives submit to us in that way, Not submit to us as someone that needs to be obedient to us, like a servant or an employee. Your wife is not on your payroll. She submits to you because she first submits to the Lord. And I believe that's how happy Christ-like marriages and homes are built. It also says to love your children. 
To love them. This is what it means to love them. It means that you do discipline them. That you love them. That you show them the way to walk with the Lord. And to walk in His ways. These were things that young women needed to know. They didn't know it. It wasn't built into them. It also says in these verses that the women are to labor at home. They're to be homemakers. That's what Paul means when he uses that word. They're to provide a comfortable and blessed home environment for their husband and for their family, their children to live in. It doesn't preclude a woman working outside the home. Are you, wait a minute, preacher. Are you saying a woman can't have a job? A woman has every bit of a right to go have a job and make a paycheck. What are you saying? I'm saying that her priority, according to the divine calling, is to primarily be a homemaker. That that should be her first priority. And there are people who cannot do that. They can't be a stay-at-home mom because they have to work. That doesn't mean they're second-class women in the church. They're being obedient to the Lord to provide for their families. But they have a duty and a responsibility at home. And maybe for us men, we could stand to hear it. That we come home hoping to drop our bags and our wives come home and they still have to carry them. Maybe we could use a bit of instruction there, men. In Proverbs 31, and I don't presume to speak about knowing what it means all to be a Proverbs 31 woman, but it does say there that she goes and buys a field. She conducts business. She does things to provide for her home. She's serious about her family. But Paul says her calling and her priority is primarily at home. And lastly, he speaks about these young women in their Christian character. He says that they're to be discreet. And this is a third time in the book of Titus, just in the two chapters we've looked at, where he speaks about self-control. Where these women are to exercise self-control as in the Lord and unto the Lord. That they're to be chaste. The idea is to be pure and good. And this word good could be translated kind. They're to be kind in their own homes. The demands of marriage and motherhood require extraordinary patience and self-control. Why do you suppose Paul devoted an entire verse to remind these young women, love your husbands and love your children? Because husbands and children sometimes are frustrating. That's not a surprise. I don't think anybody is seeing that as a newsflash. But maybe it's a reminder that kindness and love in the home is a way to demonstrate the love and the patience of Jesus that He has extended to you. Yes, you're going to lose your patience. Yes, you're going to lose that sense of self-control from time to time. But it's not the normal way you function as a Christian woman. It's not what drives the home and rules the home. It is a place where the Lord Jesus is glorified. What He's saying here about purity of heart and purity of body and purity of mind and speech is that it's a, an area that where a godly woman aspires to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, that her purity will impact her actions, her speech, and her dress by paying careful attention to this area of her heart. It has nothing to do with simply changing your behavior so that you look Christian or that there's a Christian dress code. It has everything to do with your heart. She guards her marriage and her home and seeks to be an inspiring example to those who see her, especially her children. And maybe a word on a woman being kind and good. She self-sacrifices in ways that only her husband and her children can see. And they must be frustrating from time to time. And what he is saying here is that young Christian women have to learn not to be irritable or cruel with those that God has gifted her with. And I think that there's a word there for us to be able to have some grace for ourselves. 
That if I fail, that I'm not a failure. If I fail at not being cruel, if I fail at not being irritable, it just means that I'm a sinner who needs grace. It doesn't mean that I'm not fit to be a mother or I can't ever hope to be a good grandmother because I don't have the patience of Job. It means I need to lean upon the breast of Jesus and learn from Him and take His yoke upon me. It doesn't mean I'm a failure. Our culture tells us lies and our own hearts deceive us at times, the book of Jeremiah says. So lastly, as we ended last week looking at what it means to be a Christian man, I want to end very similarly in saying why we should do this. Why women should aspire to be godly Christian women. It should be for the glory of God. Did you see what it says there at the end of verse 5? That young women are to be all of these things and older women are to be all of these things. And he says that the word of God may not be blasphemed. That the way you live in front of others is a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ and his word and power in you by his spirit. At the end of verse 10, it says to adorn the gospel of God in every area of life. I read last week, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, where Jesus said, You are the light of the world. Mothers, grandmothers, those who wish they were mothers, you are the light of the world. And godly biblical femininity is beautiful because Christ has made you that way in His wisdom. You are the light of the world. It may be okay for you to say, I'm the light of my own home. May I be a light here. Even if I don't work out in the world, it's okay. I don't have to have a profession to be useful in the kingdom. But if I do, praise the Lord. And Lord, give me the grace and the minutes to love my children and my husband, to take care of my home, and maybe sometimes to just have five minutes apiece for myself. Praise the Lord for godly Christian women. Let's pray. Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your Word and for Your goodness in it. And as... These last two weeks, we have looked at what it means to be Christian people in your church. We admit and confess, Lord, that we need Jesus. We cannot be godly Christian men or women without your spirit in us. And we pray, Lord, that as we come to this table in just a moment, as we come to be fed by you, there are many things going through our minds that remind us that we are not perfect. And your word tells us not to lay those aside or to forget them or to try to crowd them out with good works that we might do. Your word says that we're to come to you by faith and cling to the cross of Jesus and cry out to you for grace to live the life that you call us to. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the freedom to do that here today. That as we come to you in a few moments, we would come to be fed, not come to show off our wares, but come saying we have none to give but our sin. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At this time, I'd like to ask the men who are going to be helping to serve the Lord's Supper to come forward uh, to, to prepare the table as we get ready to participate in the Lord's Supper.
The last time we participated at this table of the Lord's grace together, I mentioned that we would be looking this year in 2023 at different aspects of what this table represents for us. And in our Lord's Supper preparation this week, I asked you to consider a few verses from Psalm 56 and Romans chapter 8. One of the things that is easy for us to forget is that this meal is particularly costly for God's people. It was costly for God because He gave His only Son. But maybe you would say, I don't know that I believe that I deserve to come to this table. What you just described in the last two weeks as a Christian man or a Christian woman does not describe me. And my list of shortcomings is much longer than the list of the righteous things that I aspire to. And I don't see Jesus always shining through. I see my sin and my failure. And I want to commend to you the beauty of the Lord Jesus and resting in His grace as you come to this table. It says in Psalm chapter 56, verse 8, You number my wanderings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know, because God is for me. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have trusted in Him by faith, and cling to Him by faith alone, and not because of any good thing that you have done, any work of righteousness that you can lay at His feet, and say, see here, this is why I deserve entrance into heaven. If you cling to Him by faith, then you can say with David, I know that God is for me. And the reason you can do that is because of the words in Romans chapter 8, where it says, if God be for us, who can be against us? And how can we know this? We can know this because God the Father delivered up His Son for our salvation. Jesus went to the cross for you and me, not to make good people better people, but to make dead people living. And that's what this meal represents for His people. It does mean that we acknowledge who we are, that we confess our sin before a righteous and a holy God who will pour out wrath and judgment on those who are not found in Christ. Those who have not repented of their sins and have not called upon the name of the Lord will endure eternal wrath. The Bible says that. They will perish in their sins and forever be under His wrath and judgment. So as we pause in just a moment to confess our sins silently before the Lord, I wanted to read these words from Isaiah chapter 1. It says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. These are not my words. These are His. Let's go to Him now in silent confession. Father, we thank you for the stillness and the quiet of moments to be in your presence with one another. We are here together today as the body of Christ, not as a group of some people who are better than others, but all who need a Savior. And Lord, I pray that these moments would be beneficial to each of us 
as we pray on our own in your presence, confessing our sin, that we are thoroughly sinful, that there's not a part of our heart or a part of our lives that not, has not been touched because of our own depravity. And Lord, I pray and confess that we have sinned before you in thought, word, and deed. We have left undone things that your word calls us to do. And we've done things that we know your word says we shouldn't. And we know that apart from you, there is no health in us. And we cry out to you, Lord Jesus, that you would give us the grace and the gift of repentance. That we would truly sorrow over our sin in a way that glorifies you. That doesn't say, woe is me, look at me. But that says, look at my sin, and yet look at my Savior. It is because of His life that I may live. And Lord, we thank You and we praise You for the forgiveness that You have won for us and given us in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hear these words of institution from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is our instruction and reminder about what this table represents. It says here, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took the bread and he broke it. And after he had given thanks, he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many asleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. At this time, I'd like to pray to set aside these elements, that they would be for our edification and our building up in the Lord Jesus Christ by His Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the bread and the cup, for what they represent to us, the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was broken and spilled out for us. Lord, we pray, setting these elements apart, that they would be for us true spiritual nourishment in Christ, not just a cup of juice or a piece of bread, but that we would truly feed upon Christ at this meal as He has offered to us in the Gospel. We thank You and praise You for the precious body and blood of Jesus that was broken and poured out for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. This is the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not my table. It's not the table of Lebanon Presbyterian Church. And so because it is His table, there are certain instructions that the Bible says we are to observe and to obey for our good and for God's glory. So if you are a member of a Bible-believing church and you have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't have to be this church, but if you are a member in good standing, then this table is for you. But if you've not professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and proclaim Him as your Savior, then you ought not come to this table. If you're resisting the Lord in some way and persisting in a certain sin that maybe only He and you know, then you ought not come to this table. But confess your sin to the Lord and come back the next time we observe it together in a couple months. If there's something that is wrong in a relationship between you and someone else and you cannot honestly say before the Lord in good conscience, I've done everything I can to try to make this right, then you ought not come to this table. We should take the warnings of the Scriptures very seriously as we participate in the Lord's Supper today, as we just read the, the words of warning and instruction from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But this table is not for perfect people. It's for people who know the Lord Jesus Christ and who have tasted His goodness and will feed upon Him by faith. These are the gifts of God for His people. At this time, I'm going to ask the men to come up and we will begin distributing the elements. But please hold them and we will all partake together with one another. It says that after the supper, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink you all of it in remembrance of me. As you take this cup today, remember that it was the blood of Jesus that was poured out for you. Drink you all of it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. After the table is covered in just a moment, we're going to end our service by singing a hymn and receiving the benediction of the Lord. Let's stand together. Having tasted and seen that the Lord is good, let's turn to hymn number 674 and sing in just a moment, I Need Thee Every Hour.
the benediction of our Lord from Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.